Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Good to have Bob Stoffer on the show. You've heard from Todd McClellan some of his most interesting comments from his media availability today at the Quarry. That course looking great, hosting the Mark Spector Golf Classic. Raising money for Sport Central. You miss anything, go to 630Ched.com. I have a story up there. You can go to the Oilers page. You can listen to the full media availability there as well. Here's what Todd McClellan had to say about one of the new guys, Kyle Brodziak. Kyle, first of all, has had a tremendous career to this point. Um, He's obviously... um a bit of an elder statesman now in the league, but that's okay. Those players are really important, and perhaps we were missing that last year. Uh, Matty Hendricks, the year prior, played a, a huge role in in maintaining a leadership level in the locker room and a, a competitiveness around the team. Uh, Mark Letestu had that for a while, but it's hard to, to always lead when your game isn't at the top and you're at that point in your career. Um, I think Kyle can do that. Uh, competitive player, right-handed shot, uh, face-off, penalty kill, all areas that we need to improve on. And uh, he's had an opportunity to play in some good organizations, and uh, he's coming home. And uh, sometimes when players come home, they get uh, pretty motivated. I know his family and he are excited about being here now and uh, playing in front of the Oiler fans again. All right, that's uh, Kyle Brodziak. 33 points last season for the St. Louis Blues in 81 games. 33 points, by the way, would have put him... uh, sixth on the Edmonton Oilers. So keep that in mind. He's uh, tapped to be the Oilers' fourth-line center. Of course, Kyle Brodziak, an Oiler for the second time in his career. The first time he was here, Morley Scott was covering the team. You would have uh, covered Brodziak for a couple of years. Yeah, sure did. I remember Kyle Brodziak. He was a, a good, hard-working player, and I think he's kind of exactly what the Oilers need right now. He's he's, he's that guy who's going to provide that uh, leadership role. He's... Uh, Hard-working guy. He'll be good on the penalty kill, and he's got pretty good hands. He'll chip in a point here and there and score some key goals, I'll bet. Yeah, and I think he's happy to be uh, back with the Oilers and obviously back in Alberta. He's from St. Paul. So, you know, 34 years of age, he'll kind of slide into that uh, Latestu role and see what he can do from there. Morley, you are in Montreal, which means the first question every year when you go to cover the Eskimos and the Alouettes how was the Barbie barn? Are you are you satisfied? Do you still need more barbecue? Are you mid barbecue as we're speaking? Here's here's the story, Reed. Here's the story. We have changed our habits this year. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Not our eating habits because we still eat poorly <laughs> and we still eat a lot. But uh, what we've decided to do, we fell out, we've fallen into a rut. Uh, we decided late last season that this year we we're going to go to different restaurants all the time and we weren't going to go to the same place that we went to all the time. So we skipped the Barbie Barn this year. 
Uh, I can't just, believe I just, it. I, I might, know, it's shocking. I it's might shocking. have to go home now. This is unbelievable. It's shocking. This is breaking news. Uh, actually, we just finished, uh, Jerry Matajan from Post Media and I just finished having a uh, big smoked meat sandwich at Dunn's Delicatessen, and we're just walking back to the hotel now. So uh, It was very, very satisfying still. No Barbie barn, but very satisfying. All right. Well, I, I, I've, I've rattled. I, 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 sense, I sense your I, disappointment I, with me, Reed. I have difficulty forming words right now. That is a stunner. All right. Well, as long as you still, you're still eating and eating a lot, then, I, then you're still living up to my general expectations. I, I'm not getting cheated. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Good. This is an interesting one, Morley. The Eskimos are playing the Alouettes uh, outside of you and me on this radio broadcast. No one's talking about the Eskimos going into this game because of what Cavis Reed pulled off a couple of days ago. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, there's a buzz in this town again. Uh, they, the Cavis Reed and the trade he made for Johnny Mantell on Sunday has really put the Alouettes back into the forefront of the sports scene. So they're going to try and follow it up and play much better than they have been playing this year because they've been an awful football team this year, averaging under 14 points a game. They, you know, they, they've given up more sacks than anybody. Their offense is just atrocious. They just can't move the football. Uh, so they're back on the map now, and I think people' uh, expectations are rising, although maybe not so for tomorrow night because Manziel, if he plays tomorrow night, it will be sparingly unless the game's out of hand. Vernon Adams Jr. is going to start the football game. But you're right. There's a buzz back in this town for sure. Even talking to some of the players today after the Alouettes walkthrough, they they got a different little, little more jump in their step because they know that there's help coming and that they're going to be a better football club, not just with Manziel at quarterback, but also with the changes they're making along the offensive line as well, especially with the addition of, of uh, former Eskimo Tony Washington, who was in the trade as well uh, with Johnny Manziel. Because, you know, if you, don't have a, if you don't have a good offensive line, Reed, you usually don't have a very good football team. And the Alouettes have given up 17 sacks in uh, five games. So that tells you something about the offensive line they've had. They've had, I think, seven or eight different combinations of guys playing through their first five games, so they need some stability there. They need some better play there, and they feel that they're going to get it now uh, with the addition of, uh, of Tony Washington. Well, and that's a good point. Maybe we have, I mean, obviously you're going to talk about Menzel, but maybe we haven't been talking about that uh, enough that Washington goes there, and I know it was a little surprising. Was it about a year ago the Eskimos traded him to Hamilton? Yeah, we're talking to him today about that, and it was about that time, and the Eskimos had won everything, and then they traded Tony Washington to Hamilton, who hadn't won at all. And then Hamilton started to win. So he says, I'm just coming here to turn another team around, I guess. Right? So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, he, he, he did say today he was, he was really shocked by the trade. He said like, he could see it coming in Edmonton last year with, uh, you know, because uh, Brock Sunderland brought in uh, uh, Cole, uh, Colin Kelly, and he was on the uh, sixth game to start the season. And then when he came off the sixth game, that's when Tony Washington was released. He said, I saw that one coming. The writing was on the wall. He said, but this one, this one surprised me a lot. He says, I was a little down when it first happened, but after – the first practice, I realized, hey, this isn't a bad team. I think we can do things here. So he's pretty happy to be where he is and, and get settled into a new role starting tomorrow night. You know, Morley, I, I listened to Cavis in the news conference on Monday. I had him on the show yesterday. And I'll just throw a couple points at you here and get your reaction. First of all, he was asked about Manziel being under contract for only one more year and what if you lose him. And Cavis said, well, how many players in the CFL have long-term contracts? I mean, if you worried about that, you'd never acquire anybody. This isn't, this isn't the NHL or the NBA where you can sign a guy for five, six, seven, eight years. Rarely, if ever, happens. Uh, and I asked Cavis about sacrificing the first-round draft picks in 20 and 21 because they already don't have one in 19. 
And Cavis said, well, yeah, that's a big price to pay, but he goes, our, our analytics tell us that, you know, a lot of valuable Canadians that play a long time in the league are drafted in the third round or later, which which I thought was interesting. Now, Cavis is saying that because that's what he believes in and that's what he's going with. What's what's your take on those on those comments and those situations? Manziel, you know, the potential for him to leave and, and also sacrificing those first rounders. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of a funny situation with Mandel because you want him to do well, but if he does well, he's going to leave. He's going to go right. back to the NFL. And if he doesn't do well, it makes your trade look bad, right? So that is that is a conundrum there for sure. Uh, I think yeah, the Alouettes just have to get what they can get out of him for the next year and uh, almost year and a half and then see where it goes from there, if they can re-sign him or not. You almost want him to play, play well, but not too well, and then really get better in this next contract. So. So uh, we'll see. That's a gamble for sure. But, I mean, it's a gamble with every player, like Davis said. nobody. The only guy I can think of with a long-term contract in the CFL is Matt O'Donnell, who signed two years ago, I believe, for five years, right? So uh, that doesn't happen at all in the Canadian Football League. So, uh, you know, you can't really argue too much about that. But as far as the draft picks go, you know, they're crapshoots, right? And I look at it this way, too. Let's keep this in mind. The Alouettes traded for the first overall pick this year and got Trey Rutherford. He's in their lineup. Then they... Uh, basically got next year's draft pick this year who's playing. And that's Tyler Johnstone, uh, an offensive lineman who can be a tackle and is Canadian. So uh, they got him in the supplemental draft forfeiting next year's first-round pick. So they've, they've got a good pick this year, and they've already got next year's first-round pick playing in their lineup this year. So they're kind of ahead of the game a little bit as far as first overall or first-round draft picks goes. So. And you can go out and find guys, right? You can also go out and make trades. And who's to say he doesn't make another trade and, and recoup one of those first-round draft picks? But I'll tell you what, it, it will look bad if Johnny Manziel's playing in his third year back in the NFL before the Alouettes get a first-round right. draft pick again back in 22. <laughs> Morley Scott, Eskimos play-by-play voice, joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, from an Eskimos perspective, uh, I mean, I, I know somebody texted in the other night when I said this and saying, don't be cocky, but I mean, you the Eskimos are heavily favored, whether you're superstitious about that or not. And I know Montreal did beat Saskatchewan. Uh, Gable and, and Sherritt, what, uh, did look pretty good earlier in the week. Are they in? Yeah, they're both going to be in. Uh, there's no, no issues there. They both practice pretty much full out all week long for the Eskimos, so there's not an issue there. Uh, they're both here. They both made the trip. I, I think uh, Sherritt is in, in better shape. I mean, they're less concerned about him because with concussions, you don't really know what's going on. Uh, they did bring Shaq Cooper to Montreal just in case something happens with uh, C.J. Gable, either on the flight or, you know, during the night or, or early in the game or whatever the case may be. They brought some support for him there. So, uh, But both, both say they're fine. Both say they're ready to go, so it won't be an issue. There won't be any changes to the Eskimos starting lineup this week, except for on defense where Clayton Botang comes back in. He's been out for two weeks. He's been on the roster but just hasn't played been injured for the last two weeks. He's going to get back into a starting position at that defensive end spot. And the only other change I mentioned is Shaq Cooper's onto the roster for Tanner Green, who comes off. Uh, so that's, that's the changes. It's, it's kind of nice after all those injuries in week one and a couple injuries sprinkled out through the next three or four weeks. The Eskimos have been pretty consistent with their lineup the last uh, month or so. And, in fact, on offense, there's hardly been any changes. I'm just trying to, off the top of my head, I can't think of any changes that really have been made in the starters' position uh, since about week two or three. So they've been pretty consistent at that part. Morley, I'll just end with this. Give give fans one thing to watch for that you think the Eskimos are going to want to do, going to want to try to do, that maybe they weren't able to do in two games against Toronto. 
get, you know, they started to get a bit more pressure uh, defensively and got to the quarterback a little bit. I'm a firm believer, and I know I've talked to some other people, uh, especially Armando Sewell about that this week, that when you start to get sacks, they come in bunches and you get them for two, three games in a row, and you get you get three or four in a two- or three-game span. So I look for them to get some good pressure, and, and maybe Sewell and Alex Bazzi, who both got their first sacks of the season last week, to carry on. On the offensive side of the ball, the biggest thing I'm watching for is going to be that first series and that first quarter. The Eskimos have been outscored badly in the first quarter in their last three games. In fact, the first uh, series of the last three games, they've turned the ball over all three games they've played. They've got to bring that to an end. They've got to be more productive early in football games and set themselves up so they're not in that panic position where they've got to throw the ball a lot more than they want to to try and come back and get back into football games. So that's what I'm going to be watching for defensively and offensively. Yeah, I definitely would like to see a little more heat from the D-line for sure. That is that is key. Morley, thanks for checking in. Sounds like you're having a great night in Montreal. Uh, Four o'clock tomorrow, you're on. Have a great call of the game, buddy. Thanks very much, Reed. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Morley Scott, play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Eskimos here on 6.30. Chad Dave Campbell is the producer of this show and the color analyst on our broadcast. You'll also hear from Blake Dermott tomorrow. Four o'clock pregame show. Game starts at 5.30. It's 7.18. Great to have Morley on the show. Uh, I've I've said this numerous times, and I... I, I well, I don't want to say that I'm alone, but I, I think maybe I emphasize, emphasize it more than, than some people. Most important position in the CFL... No doubt about a quarter, and every position is important. If, if, if you win the Grey Cup, you're above average or excellent pretty much every position. Quarterback, always give me a quarterback. But then if you said, okay, Reed, you, you can't have a, a 10 out of 10 quarterback, but we'll give you a 10 out of 10 guy at another position, I would take defensive end. Because you can just be so disruptive in the CFL. Uh, I mean, who did the Eskimos have back in 03 and 05? What, they had Alfred Payton one year, they had Joe Montford another year. You can just be so disruptive in rushing the quarterback, and if you get a sack in the CFL with just three downs, it's it's almost a guaranteed kick that the team doesn't get a touchdown on that drive. They're either punting or, or trying a field goal, depending on on uh, on where the sack occurred. So the Eskimos, I think they need a little bit more from their D line. Hopefully, it's coming along. Seven nineteen. So tomorrow, Eskimos at Alouettes next Thursday. Riders at Eskimos. We're going to give away a four-pack of tickets. 780-496-0063. You have to answer a trivia question. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Live on air, it is related to the CFL, uh, not the Eskimos this time, though, the team they're playing tomorrow. We'll get to that when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's 722. 
Some of the news from today, Jerome Aginla, he's going to make it official on Monday, a news conference with the Flames. He will retire. Didn't play this last year, 20 seasons in the NHL, 1,300 points, 12 years of 30 goals or more. Pretty incredible career. The Blue Jays lost in 11 innings, 12-6 to the Twins. Mini got six in the top of the 11th inning, and Trevor Linden has decided to uh, step down as president of the Vancouver Canucks after four years in that role. So Jim Benning, the GM, uh, takes over directly reporting to ownership when it comes to hockey operations. You can text 63630. You can call 780-496-0063. Mike says, uh, not a fan of Thursday night football. Why can't it be on Friday night? And Saturday afternoon, that's what I would do if I was in charge of the CFL. Well, Mike, uh, Thursday night football, they've been doing this for a while now. During the summer, they have more Thursday night games. Once we get into Labor Day and beyond, the CFL pretty becomes uh, pretty much becomes a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday league. I think they felt that having a Thursday game or two in the summer helps a little bit with attendance. Uh, if people are away on the weekend or don't want to go to a football game, they might try to get a few more people uh, on a weeknight. I've heard that before. Uh, the Eskimos do have a few Thursday I think just the two... Uh, home Thursday games, but they kind of spread them around uh, a little bit. So, Mike, you're just going to have to sacrifice it for the greater good, Mike. I'm sorry, buddy. You're going to have to watch the odd Thursday. Now, here's the thing, Mike. I give you permission to take Friday off work, especially if you're an Eskimos fan. And it's after I, full, Mike, have your employer call me, and I'll speak to him or her if there's an issue with your time off. Is that fair, Mike? <laughs> you can text 630-630. All right. We have a four-pack of tickets to Thursday Night Football. Next Thursday, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Eskimos Riders. Garrett is on the line. Garrett, how are you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good. Have you been to an Eskimos game recently? Uh, I've been to two this year. Oh, you've already... Well, we've only had... Uh, what have we had? We've only had two, haven't we? No, we've had three home games. I missed one when I was in Dallas. So what do you think of the team so far? Um, good. The defense could use a bit work, a bit of work, but... Uh... It'll get there. I think the linebackers are good. Uh, I think we need to see a little bit more from the secondary and the D-line. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so, you're, so you're not a Riders fan then? No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Uh, it sounds like you're a pretty knowledgeable football guy, so here's your question. Johnny Manziel, now a Montreal Alouette, what NFL team drafted him 22nd overall in the 2014 NFL draft? The Cleveland Browns. Absolutely, buddy. You're right on top of it. Stay on the line. Kellen's going to take down your information, okay? Thank you, Reed. No problem. That's Garrett at 780-496-0063. I was just checking back on that uh, draft. That pick actually originally belonged to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, but Cleveland had the pick. Manziel was their quarterback of the future, one of many. Their latest one is Baker Mayfield, who they took first overall. By, By the way, here's a trivia question for you. Tim Couch was a... Now, did he go first overall? I think Couch went first overall to Cleveland. Quarterback. Uh, he's married. Now, he didn't do well in football, but he, he he did well with the ladies. He's married to Heather Kozar, who appeared in a publication put out by Hugh Hefner. I will just leave it at that. If you know what I'm referring to, you know. If you're not interested, that's fine. But he, he, did, he did well in, the, in that department. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers head coach, Todd McClellan, speaking today, had some comments about this year's first-round pick, defenseman Evan Bouchard. Well, we're going to look at, uh, 
if for, for a coaching staff, we don't visually get to go out and see the draft picks. We don't, uh, we don't see them in game situations or anything like that. So this is a first uh, time for him to... Uh, to um, expose himself to the, the staff. Uh, we want to look at his confidence level, his skill level. Uh, does he feel good in the play? Does he feel good in the locker room? Um, but basically, it comes down to him getting what he needs to develop. And, um, you know, we'll give him an opportunity, just like any other player. Don't want to put any undue pressure on him. And um, we'll see where it ends up a lot uh, of prom- from October 1st. A lot of promise for Bouchard. You know, the whole right shot, defense, moving the puck, power play quarterback. He can be that. Is he going to be that this year? I think that's unlikely, but maybe he plays a few regular season games like Kyler Yamamoto did last year. Again, the full McClellan comments on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. The ITU World Triathlon in Edmonton Friday and Saturday. We have a triathlete in studio. We'll get to that story when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad Eskimos in this time slot tomorrow. Early one, 5.30 kickoff. The pregame show will be on at 4. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'm no longer the fittest person in the studio. I can usually only boast of that when I'm alone in the studio, as I often am. Triathlete James Dean is joining me in studio tonight. James, thanks for coming in from St. Albert. Thanks for having me. Reed. Okay, let's address the name issue first. You are not a rebel without a cause. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, your parents' uh, sense of humor, movie fans, or yeah, what? I, I think they were movie fans. They've never admitted it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thanks a lot for checking in tonight, James. It's going to be great to tell your story and get to talk to you about uh, triathlon, the uh, ITU World Triathlon making its Edmonton stop this weekend. So really Friday and Saturday uh, are, are the big nights. Uh, now you're going to be racing. When are you out there racing? Uh, Saturday morning. Okay. And the elite races are fri- Friday night for the men and the women. Yes. And that's where like, you're in incredible shape. They're in superhero shape would be the, <laughs> would be the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, how did you, I mean, I, I love talking to distance runners, uh, triathletes, people who do the extreme sports, because there has to be, you know, something that has to click in your head where you really say, I, I'm dedicating myself to this. I'm going to do something that is, is physically difficult on a regular basis. Where did, the, where did that bug bite you? Uh, at a young age, I, I saw the Iron Man on TV in, when I was in grade two, and just the, the aspect of multi-sport, having to, to be well-rounded in, um, you know, in different sports, you know, grabbed me, and, uh, and uh, I got, yeah, I got the bug early on. That's amazing. I don't, I don't know if I've ever had anybody saying, in grade two, you're seven, eight years old. That you're already thinking, <laughs> for most people, it's teens or as an adult, maybe you're out of shape or you want to challenge yourself, but you were even from, you weren't thinking, I want to play in the NHL or play, play pro football. You were thinking, I, I want to be a triathlete. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> what, when did you do your first triathlon? Uh, it was the summer between grade nine and grade 10. Okay. Now, are yeah. the junior distances shorter? Yes. They're often referred to as kids of steel races. Okay. Yeah. And what do you remember about that first one? 
Uh, well, I didn't even, uh, I, the only bike I owned was a BMX bike. And so I had to borrow a friend's mountain bike. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, but you know, I, I, I had a decent swim and, and I got passed by a few people on the bike and, and just tried, suffered through the run and finished and I pretty pumped at the end, you know, the, that runner's high, you get the endorphin release at the end. So I, I was hooked after that. You didn't know what kind of bike was best though. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Who were they? Were someone coaching you, or were you just like, "I'm teenage James, James, and here I go"? Yeah, I, did, I well, I delivered papers on my bike, and that was my training, I guess. And I ran some track in, you know, in in uh, elementary school. So that was basically all I had, and swimming lessons at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> so did you? Let me put it this way. Did you surprise yourself by finishing, or did you surprise yourself that you, maybe you didn't know how hard it actually was to do a triathlon? Uh, I, I think a, I think a bit of both, a, and I had a little bit of success. I actually I finished third and won a couple of McDonald's pizzas for my family. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, this is this is pretty cool. <laughs> That's great. You win a triathlon. What's the hey hey uh, hey Jeb? What's the unhealthiest food we can give these kids? Get them a McDonald's pizza. There you go. <laughs> So uh, you went from there. So were your were your parents, or I don't know if you have any siblings, were were they on board, or were they kind of like, what's he what's he doing? Yeah, my my parent my parents were definitely supportive, uh, and I, I'm the eldest of six kids, and all six of us ended up getting into triathlon. No and way. Doing it after that, yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Though all every sibling. As yeah. does it competed in numerous triathlons, I guess. Yeah, I've got a uh, my my closest brother Bob. He's a firefighter in town here, and and he did a couple, but all the other all the other uh, siblings, you know, did quite a few. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you you mentioned your age in your email to set it up, so I, I hope you don't mind me saying it. So you're you're 41. Yes. So you've been doing this, uh, like you said, since uh, 26 years. The, the the since you were a teenager, you jumped into it. Is it competitive with the siblings for who's the best, or are you just more like we just we're finishers? Uh it definitely is competitive. My my youngest brothers are are definitely. Well, very fit, and uh, <laughs> and and it was a few years ago when they started rolling past me in in their races, and at, you know it was a little bit hard to swallow at first, but they they still say I race like I'm 29, so that makes me feel <laughs> there, a little you better. Go. You've been 29 for 14 years or 13 years. That's all you got to tell people. Yeah. James Dean, triathlete joining us. He's gonna uh, triathlete joining us. He's gonna be in the ITU World Triathlon. He's gonna go Saturday morning. Uh, the elite events are Friday and Saturday night. I, I got a lot here. I want to ask you let's let's just clarify the distances for people because you and i were talking about this about the commercial during the commercial and, and i was mixed up about some of the distances but you were you were nice to me you explained that's fairly common because there are different distances depending on uh whether it's the olympics whether it's an Ironman. so what are what are some standard triathlon distances here uh well this weekend we're doing the the sprint uh oh i'm doing the sprint 750 meter swim a 20k bike and a 5k run uh and they've also got um an uh an olympic distance race for the age groupers and an aqua bike where they just do a swim run okay um the the sprint distance one of the reasons i chose it was because the bike is draft legal so that brings a little bit of strategy into the race not necessarily the fastest cyclist will have the fastest cycling time it's all about who you're working with and okay who 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 does the work and who doesn't so it, yeah it adds an element 
So, so okay. So, in some races, though, you say you can't draft off anybody. You can't be directly behind somebody when you're on the bike. That's right. So, in the Olympic distance race on this course, is not draft legal. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you get they got the watchful eye. So is you're, are you disqualified? Time penalty if they think you might be. I don't know if it happens or not. It does, and they've got penalty tents uh, throughout, and they they give out penalties for if you drop your goggles and don't pick them up, or you don't put all your stuff in your transition zone. Um, yeah, or or yeah, if you're caught drafting in the um, on the Olympic distance bike course, they, they, and they've got penalty tents. So at the next, if you're given a penalty at the next penalty tent, you got to serve your penalty. So you actually stop. You have to stop, get off your bike. As soon as you're off your bike and um, you, the time starts and you can't do anything, you can't eat or you can't, yeah, you just got to stand there and serve your penalty. So it's a penalty box, yeah. basically, to make a hockey, which I think is good because if you assess the penalties after the race, you could have somebody cross the finish line first who doesn't wind up being first. That's which right kind of rips the fans off because they're cheering for somebody who's not who's not actually winning uh james dean joining us in studio so do you have i mean maybe this is a dumb question but maybe maybe you do do you do you have one of the three disciplines that's your favorite or is that is your strength i mean you mentioned maybe the bike isn't uh well i, I actually i love the bike I, I i love uh um you know just going hard I, I i i like to suffer a little bit on the bike feel that pain in my quads and try to you know try to bridge some gaps and and you know and then get get a group together and and try to get the group working as a as a, as a group so it's you know efficient and close down the the gap to catch the next group that's really exciting i get the adrenaline pumping when that's going what do you what do you do for training i mean will you I mean, do you, will you ever go out and do a mini triathlon to, to train, or do you break it down? Okay, today I'm swimming, today I'm running. What do you do? Yeah, de- definitely break it down. I'll, I'll do uh, one to two disciplines a day, typically. Um, like um, today, I, I often, if I'm putting two together, though, uh, like a bike run, we call it a brick workout, because when you get off the bike, your legs feel like bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do a run, and you just try to get used to that feeling, because everybody in the triathlon, has to do it and you might as well train for it um, and then my kids all had swimming they're all uh, they're all swimming and so I hopped in the pool when they were in there and just got a bit of a swim in well, okay I should have asked you all your siblings have done triathlons the next like are your kids doing triathlons yet they, they are actually and, and the same <laughs> yeah yeah the same the same organization that WTS or ITU uh, team put on a kids of steel race a few weeks ago and all four of my kids were were in it and did the kids of steel race uh, Dave just texted in to 63630 how long are the the penalties do they vary depending on the infraction they vary on, on okay. the, so like I said 20 seconds if you if you if you're dropping something out of your transition area uh, or leave a set of goggles on the ground and um, up to three minutes based on the you know um, based on the length too of the of the bike or the or or, you know again yeah it all depends on what the penalty is okay yeah that's an interesting one for sure Uh, you're a physiotherapist yes so is it uh, (laughs) when you're racing or training uh, do do you have to shut off the physiotherapist part of your brain because you don't want to be analyzing every slight pain or muscle pull while you're while you're competing. You want to keep going. That's right. And and like I said, it's a it's a bit of suffering while I'm racing. Um, and 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 something I tell to all my patients: there's you know good pain and bad pain. You know, you achy right. sore burn is okay. It's that sharp pain that your body's telling you ah, just ease off a bit. 
Uh, all right. So this is, you know, James, I, I mentioned to you during the your break, I, I love doing these types of interviews. I'm a very, you know, I'm an everyday runner. I do, I run three or four times a week. I do a couple of races per year just to put myself in there and, and get an official time. Uh, but I love doing these interviews with people who do distance running, triathlons, push their bodies. But the people who don't do it are hearing like, all he's saying is how much he's suffering and how, how, how difficult it was and all this kind of stuff. But what keeps you going despite that? Uh, well, it's it, 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 you don't have to, you definitely don't have to, you know, push the envelope like I like to. And that's how I've always kind of, you know, done these races and, and kind of lived. I like, I like living on the edge. I like pushing the envelope a bit. But there are many people out there who do them just to do them and just to finish and then, yep. and then sit in the beer gardens after and, and, and chat about the race, you know, and that's that's probably a uh, you know there's a, a a larger percentage of the population who do that just to do it and have a good time and and then have a good time afterwards too. Let, let me ask you this because I know sometimes with uh, with with runners, I mean a lot. Let's say a lot of sports are, are young men's sports. You know, twenty eight or younger. You know, I mean, I know hockey, football can go into their thirty depending on the position. Um, prior to Federer and Nadal, most tennis players were done by their late 20s at best, right? They've sort yes. of changed that a little bit. Are, at 41, are you have you reached your peak? Are you past your peak? Or do you still feel like, no, I got like I got PBs in me. There's a lot left to give. I, I do feel like I still got some PBs in me. I like and I like pushing the envelope. And there are there are times where I, I am getting faster and, and breaking some of my my past uh, results. Um, the nice thing about triathlon is is um, in the age group, you're you're competing against your age group, and we've we've got guys in this race and ladies in this race who are going to be in their 80s. Nice. they're racing and it's awesome to see I, I love it so um, and, and for those who who say triathlon triathlon's not for me because say their knees or hips have started to go with arthritis that's one of the reasons they brought in the aqua bike so they're they do their swim and their bike and then they cheer from the beer gardens nice. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to run James I, I want you to stick around because I want to get into some of your history specific to the Edmonton event because it's pretty interesting and uh, let fans know what they uh, what can they expect? Maybe some tips on watching uh, a triathlon live if you're going to go as well. Triathlete James Dean in studio on Inside Sports. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Oilers head coach Todd McClellan in Edmonton today. He golfed at the quarry for the Mark Spector Golf Classic, raising funds for Sports Central. Here from McClellan on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. James Dean is in studio. He'll be uh, competing Saturday morning, part of the ITU World Triathlon. Uh, you've been doing it a long time. We'll get to that. Apparently, according to uh, a texter, Roger, you were a great swimming instructor at the JP Pool. How about that? <laughs> that was a long time ago. That was back when I was in high school. <laughs> Just getting into triathlon. So there you go. Roger remembers you. So that's good. All right. So uh, Horlick Park, uh, obviously, uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, we're, we've talked a little bit about your history as a, a triathlete. 26 years, you started you know, in your teens. You were inspired when you were basically seven, so that's pretty cool. Uh, t- but tell me a little bit about Horlick Park and your beginnings there with the ITU race uh, back in 99. Uh, well, it was uh, 
it, I, I remember they had a, a, a just a little race and it wasn't even a triathlon it was an aquathon a swim run around the park and i think there were my, maybe only eight or ten of us and it was put on um by sheila o'kelly um to get some video footage to kind of sell it to the itu to say hey we want to have a world championships here and and uh, it worked because they held worlds in 2001 and that was the and then they did it again in in 07 and 14 and and then coming up in 2020 incredible so you were one of the ones that helped sheila get it get it rolling with the uh, with the video go to find that on youtube somewhere. it's on vhs somewhere i'm sure uh well you might have had dvds in 99 uh so all right so if, if you're going to horlick park um look we, we know this this is an event a lot of people would have maybe only seen on tv or come come in edmonton in the past that give people a sense of, of the circuit in and around Horlock and maybe uh, is there a better viewing area if people want to try to get us a good spot? Uh, y- yeah, so they'll be, they'll have uh, they'll have a park and ride from up at U of A at the Stadium Car Park or or one of the car parks up there. Um, so a free free bus ride down, shuttle down to the park. Um, you can also ride your bikes or, or walk to the park. Um, and you know anywhere in the park you'll be able to see them cycling and running because they're going to do the loop around uh, um, the Horlack Park. Okay, um, so it's all in the park. They're not going up em- Emily Murphy or anything. They are going up. Well, they Emily are going Murphy. up. Yeah, That's just but, a great hill to ride everybody <laughs> exactly yeah so they'll be doing they'll be doing uh, quite a few loops uh, they like to have the the short loops for the elite so you can see them often so they'll be going up the hill and then down the hill right away um, and then into the park looping around and then back up and, and same okay. for the run they like to do four or five or six loops on each of the events so you see them often yeah uh, Emily Murphy Emily Murphy Hill as as some runners will know or, or you may just run it recreationally, though it's not that recreational, is part of the 15K on Canada Day, right at the halfway point. So I know it well from having done that 15K nine times. Wow. It's a steep one. Very steep. <laughs> right Very at the steep. end. You, and you know how it has that little bend where yeah. you think, oh, there's the end of the hill, and then you could just come around that little bit of trees and you're like, nope, there's about another 100 meters to go. This is great. That's so nice. you're doing that. We're the doing that. Doing, and they bike, and yeah. are you biking and running up it? Uh, no, I we're not running up it. We'll bike up it. Okay. Um, I bike up it three times. The elites are likely going to do do it six times. Okay. Um, and uh, But they'll run up. Usually they just come out of the park and run a little bit up um, road and then back down and into the park across the grandstands and and back out so you see them often all right it's almost like Orlick Park's made for a triathlon I mean it's, when you think about perfect. it I mean what what took to 99 for us to, yeah. for us to start yeah. to do it yeah it is pretty incredible um, all right uh, Sheldon text again he says Reed I've always wondered why multi-sport events are not the uh, most popular ath- most popular for athletes and more so for viewers how the men's decathlon is not the ultimate Olympic event. I'll never know. Uh, it would more than likely be better for kids as well as enjoyable for them. That is from Sheldon. Well, I mean, the de- I, I more so when I was younger, the, de- the Olympic decathlon champion was considered the best athlete in the world. That mantle seems to have been taken away. I, I don't know why, but yeah, and I view, if, you, if you're doing a triathlon, I mean, you're swimming, and there's no break in between everybody. Like, you're swimming, 
then you're biking, then you're running. It's not like, oh, I'll start the bike when I when I feel a little better. You're just you're just going, James. That's right. That's right. What yeah. what are the uh I'll ask you this just to go along with the suffering theme. What's the worst you've ever felt at a triathlon uh, that you've had to fight through? There's been there's been a there's been a, a few races where they've just, you know, the the heat gets to you or you know, in if you get into the longer races and you've got to be eating during these races and then you can run into some GI issues and get nauseated and oh, there's a, a number of things and you, you get cramping up. I've I've cramped up to a point where I felt like I couldn't even move and you just oh. want to jump out of your skin so uh, <laughs> you can experience some pretty some pretty tough stuff but it keeps us coming back james thanks for coming in i, w- I wish we had more time here but uh, we got to have news and adler coming up so if people want to check it out uh edmonton.triathlon.org and then you have the schedule and everything there and you'll see if you go to this website everybody the the they got the elite stuff in bold font so we got 536 for the elite women on friday and we got 721 for the elite men on Friday. And then there's stuff going on all day Saturday and you're the you're the nine o'clock race. Yes. Age group sprint men. And you can see uh, youth races, uh, junior races, and then the relay four o'clock Saturday. That's pretty fun. That's can super you, can exciting. Can you sum up that in twenty seconds? How it works? Super exciting to watch. You're going to see uh, team one team from each country, and two females and two males, and they all do a super sprint triathlon each, and then they pass their wristband to the next person, and they so they four super sprint triathlete triathlons per relay team that's amazing James thanks for coming in this is a pleasure to meet you James Dean in from St. Albert ready for the triathlon coming up Orlick Park Friday and Saturday you also heard from Bob Stoffer and Morley Scott comments from Todd McClellan thanks to everybody who texted in tonight Kellen Kennedy's our studio producer Dave Campbell's the producer my name is Reed Wilkins football tomorrow coverage starts at 4 kickoff at 5.30 I'll rejoin you on Friday always a pleasure have a great night 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.